There, there aren't any words really to put together in song or in verse that would be truly worthy who you are. Lord, the songs that we sing are from a broken and a contrite heart. Lord, as we submit ourselves before you, recognizing who you are and who we are, recognizing that our only hope is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, it's those cries of the heart, that recognition of the soul, those are worthy. We thank you and we praise you for who you are, what you have done, what you will do. Lord, we look forward to the day when you'll return for us. Thank you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Um, So, I want to give a heartfelt uh, thanks and gratitude uh, on behalf of myself and, and Barb for uh, all of your prayers. Uh, The surgeon was able to fix uh, bone, tendon, nerve, muscle, and skin. It was a fantastic thing. She's in a little bit of pain, as you can imagine, but appreciate your continued help and resourcing. And she wanted me to extend her love uh, to all of you on our behalf. So... uh, One of the most iconic lines in all of cinema were were uttered by a man by the name of uh, Terry Malloy. Uh, Some of you, this will ring a bell. For most of you, you'll go, who? Uh, Anyway, he was a former boxer, and uh, the character was played by Marlon Brando in the eight-time Academy uh, Award-winning movie On the Waterfront. And, and Terry has provided evidence of a, a murder, and he's on the run from people who, who, who want him dead. And he's talking in a car to his brother, Charlie, about how in the world could his life, which had had such a, a, a promising start, end up where it was. And he essentially said, Charlie, you're my brother. You're the one that was supposed to be watching out for me, and it's your fault that I'm in this situation. You know, and Charlie, I think, understood that. But he said this, and some of you may recall this, certainly people of a certain age, all of you will have. He said to him, he said, you don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. And and the truth is, as long as Terry had listened to his coaches, he was on his way to becoming a prize fighter. He had a chance. He had a chance to go all the way to the top. But his fortunes changed when he listened to his brother, Charlie, to take a dive. He listened to his brother. Listen, we can get this money right now if you throw this fight. Turns out that fight was with 
a contender who ultimately went up the ranks and he knew he could beat him. He knew in the ring I could take him, I could beat him. But he stopped listening to his coaches and for a few dollars he listened to his brother and he essentially lost his way. The poet John Greenleaf Whittier wrote it this way, For all, of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these it might have been. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 32 and 33. What do I gain through 34 actually? What do I gain if humanly speaking I fought with beasts at Ephesus? We don't talk about that much when we talk about his trials. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. Isn't it it a sad thing when you witness a person who has enormous potential, who has huge potential, who starts off well, but then they begin to fall apart? I mean, we see it in the sports world All the time, constantly, each one of you in your mind, if you follow any sport at all, you'll recognize some promising athlete or even some established athlete goes and does something stupid, either with gambling or drug abuse or some kind of crime or loose lifestyle, and they they ruin it. I I could list a whole host of, of names. I will not. But it's most sad when you see this happen spiritually, isn't it? When you see a person who has professed Christ and they, they begin to move out in, in their life with passion and zeal, but then something happens. They get tripped up and they fall by the wayside. If you've been a Christian for very long at all, you've either known or known about or read about these kinds of things. It's always sad, terribly sad. It's often puzzling. I went to Emmaus with one such friend. In the mornings, we would play tennis before uh, school. He was a better athlete and certainly a better tennis player than I was. And we'd study theology in the afternoons. Barb and his wife were fast friends and remained so until her death and we had a front row seat to a slow motion train wreck as he moved from radical service to the Lord to completely falling by the wayside. He abandoned his wife, our friend, and married the church secretary and then Behold, the church didn't like that, so they said, please leave. So he did, and he went and started another church, got another secretary, divorced that wife to marry this one. This man had financial means, tremendous mind and talent, charisma, and he knew the Bible well. But he ultimately and completely abandoned God. What a human tragedy. 
How does that happen? Or more accurately, the question I want to address today is how do we keep that from happening to us? How do we avoid the same kinds of things? And I think we find some answers in the story of King Joash, which is found in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 24. And I'm going to tell the story. Uh, if you're reading through the Bible, you've read the story. You may be familiar with the story. I'll only go to a few specific uh, verses as, as, as we go along. But what we're going to find is that Joash was a, a boy. In fact, he was a young boy, but he had all the potential in, in the world. Not only did he have potential, he was, in essence, a miracle child. In many ways, he was, in fact, the, the chosen one. Because were it not for him, the line of David would have been cut off entirely. Satan going back, trying to destroy Jesus before he was ever born. He was a child of promise. His life was under God's providential care. And, and all I can think of when I, when I thought about this, I'm, I'm thinking about how do we kind of view this today? Some of you may have seen the picture of the Marine reaching over the Constantina wire, the razor wire, and grabbing that little baby and, and picking it up over. And if you haven't seen that picture, you need, to, you need to. What you don't see in the picture was that there was a discussion going on between the man who was holding the baby. This baby was two weeks old. This baby was two weeks old. And the Marine was saying, she's going to get hurt by the wire if I pick her up over the wire. And he said, I'd rather her be hurt than dead. And so the Marine reached over. Another Marine holding his feet so he doesn't fall into the Constantina wire himself. And they hand up that little baby. And the baby was saved. The baby was lifted up out of that complete disaster. And Jehoiada and Jehoshabeth uh, metaphorically, they lifted young Joash uh, over the wires and saved him from certain death. He was one, one year old when Jehoiada, remember we mentioned this last week, who was the high priest, and his wife uh, Jehoshabeth, who was King Jehoram's daughter. Okay, so in other words, this child, she was his aunt. And uh, Jehoiada was his uncle. And so they lifted him out. They, they hid him away in the temple precinct. I mean, they hid him away so that Athaliah couldn't kill him. Remember Athaliah, she was uh, Jezebel's uh, daughter and Ahab's uh, daughter. And she killed the entire royal line. So she thought. She thought she killed them all. She ended up reigning in Judah for six years. And it was about that time, about six years later, that Jehoiada was able to get enough leaders together to announce to Israel that one had survived. And uh, had survived Athaliah's purge. 
and it was young Joash. He was now seven years old. And when Jehoiada announced him, the people went crazy uh, for joy. They went nuts because they had thought that the line of David was over. They didn't know. No one knew that Joash was around except for a very few people. David's line was not cut off. And his, his grandmother, at the line, <laughs> she was a grandmother. I, you know, I mean, seriously, uh, she killed her grandchildren. What, what, this is just uh, it's astonishing, uh, some of the stories that we read uh, out of history. And she had been... Uh, ruling and reigning and having a great old time, but she hears this commotion and she goes running out. She sees the king, seven years old, in his royal robes, Jehoiada on one side and a whole bunch of people with swords. And she starts screaming, treason, treason. And, uh, and Jehoiada at least had the sense of saying, listen, don't, don't kill her in the temple area, you know, outside. And she stood alone for her crimes. All those who were loyal to her, which my guess would have been like zero, uh, they just, you know, disappeared into the woodwork and, and she was punished. So Joash had this incredible, amazing start that he didn't have anything to do with. Kind of reminds me of our start in Christ. We didn't have much to do with that, right? And yet... He was blessed and he started out well. Now, a lot of people hammer Joash and they say, well, he didn't believe any of this stuff. And the reason we know he didn't believe any of this stuff was because of what happened later, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes. I don't believe that at all. I believe that people who start well and don't end well, that doesn't mean that what they did in the beginning, they didn't do from a heart for God. I just don't believe that. I believe that it's possible for people to trip and stumble and fall and or even willfully give themselves over. And while it negates in many ways what we think about them and what we think about they had done, the good is not yet removed. We need to understand that God works through all of uh, these, these things. And he started well. His first project, in fact, was to restore the temple. Now that makes a lot of sense. At, at least it, it should make a lot of sense because number one, they, the temple was the house of worship for Israel, but it was also Joash's house. That's where he was raised. That's what he knew. And it was a mess. And he's like, no, fix this. Now the amazing thing is, is Jehoiada who we hold up and as well we should because he was, he was a good high priest and he lived a long time as well. But it took him about 20 years. And so finally, uh, Joash goes to Jehoiada and says, what's the problem? Why can't you get the Levites to take care of the temple? I mean, he had to, he had to you know, motivate Jehoiada to get this thing done. So he came up with a chest, put it outside the temple, and said, when you come in, drop in some money, and we'll repair the temple with it. Well, this chest filled up like that. And then, so he took it, emptied it, it filled up again, took it in. They got so much money, 
that not only were they able to restore the temple, they were able to strengthen it. They made it better. And then they got so much money for the temple, they were able to replace all the utensils and all of the things that were necessary for the worship that was happening there. And he had that chest. And and so he restored the temple. And I think that that was of a pure heart. But we know, if you've read the text before, you know that things went well as long as Jehoiada was alive. But Jehoiada died. And in 24.18, we're told that Joash listened to the princes of Judah. And in listening to the princes of Judah, he abandoned the house of the Lord and he fell into idolatry. Joash, the transformation was so complete that even when God's prophets came to him, he rejected them so much so that when Zechariah came to him, who was Jehoiada's son and a prophet of God, Joash had him killed in the temple precinct. No respect. No honor at all. How far can you fall? Not only that, you haven't figured out the relationships if you draw little notes and who's who and who's who. They were cousins. He killed his cousin. And then we're told that in 2 Kings, not here in 2 Chronicles, but we're told that a small Assyrian army came up against Jerusalem and said, hey, we're going to tear you down unless you give us some money. And so he took all the gold and all the silver and all the things out of the temple that he had gotten in those chests of money to put in the temple and he gave it to the Syrians and off they went. And of course, you know, when you feed the beast, (laughs) they're never full. That held him off for a year or two. Don't compromise. You know why? Because I, it, it, that it's never full. It will never be satisfied. No one will be... They, they, they just will not be satisfied. So just, just, just let it go. They came right back a year or two later. And then so this time, they took whatever was left. They killed the princes of Judah, the officials as well, and they left Joash wounded. So they didn't kill him, but they left him wounded. And so it tell, we're told that two of his own servants murdered him while he lay on his bed. Okay? Why did they do that? They thought Zechariah was a pretty good guy. They thought Jehoiada should have been honored. And because he had failed to honor Jehoiada and what Jehoiada had done, uh, they avenged the death of Zechariah. So he was dead. Even though he ruled, this guy ruled for 40 years. Right? But he was only 47 years old. I say only some of you are approaching that and think that's still pretty old. Some of you are well past that and think, he's a, he's a young guy. But he was not buried. The people of Israel understood this to the point where they didn't bury him with the kings, even though he was one of the good kings. You know, they all, they all messed up in, in, in one way or another. And everything went as it should. And 24.2 tells us as long as Jehoiada was alive. But then he listened to the princes. 
So what can we learn from his life? Let's take a few lessons from this. I, the first thing that impresses me is this. And we, we must always, when somebody falls into sin, the first thing that, that should hit us is not to judge, ever. That's not the first. It doesn't mean that we can't judge. I'm just saying that's not the first thing. The first thing is to recognize that human frailty is a real thing and that people fail. We are subject to the same things. If you think you're immune, you're not. No one, no one is immune. It's not unfamiliar. That's the first thing that impresses me. We saw it with Solomon. We saw it with Asa. We saw it with Josiah, so on. I could go list down down the road. In other words, the most educated and privileged people of their day fell into this continuing drumbeat of failure. You can even hear echoes of this in the Apostle Paul's voice. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth to the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What was he talking about? Paul wanted to finish well. Paul wanted to continue unbroken living for Christ and he knew that it was possible that that might not happen. I do not count myself as having apprehended this. So what is it that I do? I forget the things which are behind. I press on. I press on. So no matter what our age, no matter what our station, we too must press on. So that's generally how to look at this. We're all subject to these things. But how do we give ourselves the best chance of finishing well? First and foremost, an old, this is an ancient uh, saying, in fact, uh, that's one of Paul's quotes there in, in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians. And the quote is, you are known by the company you keep. In uh, 1683, the book Moral Instructions of a Father to His Son Upon the Departure for a Long Voyage. Now, <laughs> that's back when you could name books like that uh, with that long of a, a, a name. Uh, but anyway, it included in it a, a careful explanation of what that meant. And it reads this way, Consult uh, prudence, and she will teach you to choose your friends, which is a thing of the highest consequence. The highest consequence is who you choose to associate with, because we acquire, he goes on to say, Generally, the habits and passions of those whom we frequent. This was so well known to our forefathers that they did not scruple to pass their judgment upon any man when they were once acquainted with the temper of his companions. According to this old saying of theirs, tell me what company you keep and I will tell you what you are. If you understand the weight of that, what he's saying is you can judge the man by the friends that he has. 
you can say something of consequence about an individual whom you do not know based on the company that he or she keeps. That's how important this is. Because it's all about voices. It, it, it really is. It's all about the voices that we listen to. And there are so many. There are, there are so many voices. Everyone wants to be an authority in your life. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't go to the bank. You can't go to a trip. You can't do anything with somebody either in the media or in your life telling you what you should do or what you should not do. Voices surround us in print over the airwaves and the, the other, other people telling us, go this way, go that way, do this, don't do that. And we have to filter those voices and come to a place where truth resides in us. You know, and sometimes it's not popular, is it? I mean, the Bible says that God spoke to Noah. And Noah listened to God. And what did he hear? He had a warning that he then proceeded to build, in accordance with God's plan, an ark where he was ridiculed for decades. And yet, he held to the voice of God, not the voice of man. Often, the voice of God comes to us through godly counsel, through godly friends, through people who have our heart as their heart, for people who care about us. And sometimes we hear that voice in uh, what they say. And it is from Joash's life that we see Paul's words come alive. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. Now, while the specific context of that verse has to do with the resurrection from the dead and how bad company, that is, how bad company has bad teaching and bad influence or behavior, it tends to pull, it tends to pull us in. It tends to pull us into a place where we do not want to be. And the community that we decide to befriend is a choice. You choose who your friends are. And you invest in those friendships. We all do. It's how we operate. We put time and we put energy into relationships that we want to have around us. And what we want to do is ensure that those relationships, those friendships, are ones that help us to become more like Jesus Christ, more conformed to His image. But sometimes we invest in relationships that take us further from Christ, further from Jesus. I'm telling you right now, friends who want to take you out to party in ways that don't honor God, they don't have your best interest at heart. They do not. I don't care if you've known them since elementary school. And the, one of the best investments that you can make in, in friendships that encourage you to be more like Jesus, 
that's why at First Colony Bible Chapel, I mean, the Lord has given us an opportunity to be around like-minded people. Now, even amongst like-minded people, you're not going to associate ordinarily and all the time with everyone. Our lives just aren't built that way. But the ones who you do associate with are going to people be with people who know and love Jesus Christ. And we all need those friendships and we all need to share our life's struggles and, and, and joys the disappointments and victories, just life. What kind of person do you want to be? I mean, when you think about it, what kind of person do you want to be in terms of following Jesus Christ? Well, how do you do that? You surround yourself with people who have the qualities that you want to see in your life. This notion that was mentioned in that book that was written in the 1600s is very true. We pick up the habits of those around us. We tend to copy at a completely uh, unconscious level words, gestures, thought patterns, things like that of, of those around us, and they become, over time, a part of us. Second, uh, Joash, uh, he faced some real spiritual testing. Again, going back to verse 2, it tells us that Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the high priest. And when Jehoiada died, then Joash was faced with his first really spiritual test. And his voice was drowned out by the Yahweh-hating Baal and Ashtoreth loving princes. I mean, and that was a hinge point in his life. For whatever reason, he decided to follow those voices than the voice of Jehoiada uh, and, and or the voice of God in his life. And I want to point out something. The princes didn't come to Joash until Jehoiada was dead. I mean, if you think that Satan and his minions are going to attack you at a strong point, then he's not. He's going to wait. He's going to wait for the moment. And he, he's patient. He's not impatient. He's, and he's smart. We, we tend to picture him as this hideously ugly, demented creature, but he's not. Not at all. I mean, from a moral perspective, yes, we can view him metaphorically that way. But his beauty remains. His intelligence remains. His ability to stalk remains. Who does the lion go after? The lion goes after the person, the one that is weak in that moment. In the same way, Joash was weak. And Satan came after him. In Joshua 24:31, and this is, this is disturbing to show our commonality with this. We think we're separate from him. We're not. We think we're separate from Solomon. But we're not. Joshua 24:31, many of you have memorized this verse. It read this: "Israel served the Lord." all the days of Joshua. 
and all the days of the leaders who survived Joshua, who had known all the deeds which the Lord had done for Israel. But then after that, what do you come to? You come to the book of Judges. When everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That should sound familiar. Because that's precisely where we are at. We are doing, not only are we doing what is right in our own eyes, we are being what is right in our own eyes. You want to be something else? You want to be someone else? In today's world, go for it. Be, do what was right in our own eyes. Joash ended up as a man without any gratitude, too. Uh, I mean, the bad voices that he listened to, the voices he listened to, corrupted his, literally corrupted his moral structure such that he went from restoring the house of God to committing murder in the house of God. This is how far our life's trajectory can take us when we're not pressing on towards the mark. In conclusion of what I can say about this today, which is always time limited, in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, I think we find an illustration of what happens when we listen to the, to the wrong voices. I mean, God had miraculously saved Israel out of Egypt. Can you imagine witness to the ten plagues? Can you imagine being cornered? Death is certain. Or recapture and pulled back into slavery is, is certain. And there's mountains on two sides, an army in front of, and behind you, and there's a sea in front of you, and the Lord parts the sea, and you go through that. They did that. They, I mean, this is in living memory of every adult who was there. It only took a few days to get from Egypt to the promised land. It wasn't that long. You're saying, wait a minute, John, it took 40 years. No, 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 no. It did not. Not the first time. And so what they did was they said, hey, let's get some spies. Go check out the land. And so they sent 12 spies in, one from each of the tribes, right? And they came back. They had, now get this, I have a grapevine in my backyard. I had a cluster of grapes that were probably maybe a little bit bigger than my fist, but that was about it, right? They had a single cluster of grapes, according to numbers, that took two men and a pole to carry. Land flowing with milk and honey. And Joshua and Caleb said, let's do it. Let's go get it. But ten of them said, nah, listen, we're not able to go up against the people for they're too strong for us. The land devours its inhabitants. We become like grasshoppers in our own sight so that we were in their sight. There are giants in the land. And, and Caleb, uh, I, I love it. It's, it's like, by all means, let's go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. And they listened to the ten and not the two. And as a result of that negative report, the people, the people wept, they grumbled, and then, interestingly enough, 
they accused Moses, Aaron, and Joshua, and Caleb, and sought to put them to death. You brought us out here to die. I, has the Lord ever done anything great in your life? I hope He has. I hope He has. And what you need to do in days where there are difficulty is remember that which He has done. These people saw the sea parted and now they're wanting to kill the leaders and get somebody to take them back to Egypt. <laughs> How quickly they forgot. How quickly... They looked to their own abilities and consequently they spent the next 40 years in the wilderness. We're guilty of the same kinds of things. Just a few more final thoughts, just really phrases or sentences really. And hopefully these will be helpful to you in some way. Do not forget the Lord's previous work in your life. Write it down. Meditate on it. Think on it. Listen to Zechariah. What I mean by that is listen to the prophets of God. What I mean by that is not the people who teach the Sunday school classes necessarily or the people who fill the pulpit, but the Word of God. Read it. Absorb it. Take it seriously. Realize this. It is the Lord that has got you this far. And He wants to carry you through. This didn't happen in Joash's life. Believe God's promises. Keep God in the equation. The influences that we allow into our life, it matters. It, it matters. And some we need to cut out. I know that sounds harsh. And that's after a lot of prayer and a lot of discernment. But there are some people in your life where the influence is so bad that they need not be part of your life. You need to be able to accept godly reproval. Keep the idols out. And finally, you have a choice. You have a choice every day to press on and follow Christ. And if you don't know Him, today you have an opportunity to trust Him as your Savior and allow Him to come into your life and give you the power to live in a way that you can press on and not fall by the wayside till that day that we are with Him in glory. Father, we are grateful. I mean, the life of Joash is, is an amazing, amazing story filled with goodness, filled with grace, filled with providence. But it's also incredibly sad to see a person fall from such a place. Yet each one of us know or know of people who have made that fall. Lord, for Joash, it was too late. For those who perhaps have had a good beginning, and a rough time of it now, as long as there is life, 
there is redemption, there is reconciliation, there is more that you have for them to do. We thank you, we praise you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.